Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories about life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your post-grad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode nine. Before I tell you about our guest today, I just want to remind you of the live event I'm hosting in Chicago on August 14th. If you're going to be in Chicago on that day, cancel your bottomless brunch plans and buy a ticket to this event. I promise you it's going to be a great time. We have an incredible panel of female speakers and there's going to be amazing brunch and snacks and drinks and giveaways and an opportunity to really connect with some other Chicago women. So head to the link in the show notes to grab your ticket, or you can follow me on Instagram at Lauren D. Tierney and find out more about the event. Getting into the episode, our guest was Shanna Compton Game. Shanna is the host of the Millennial Money podcast that has over 15 million downloads. She also is the founder of her company, Hello, It's Me, which just launched their first product, the Money Mindset Journal, that helps people look at money differently and get into a better mindset with their money. I've learned so much from Shanna and her podcast, which is why I was so excited to have her on. Today, we talk about everything from getting started with investing to the biggest mistakes people make in their 20s around money. And one of the most exciting parts of the conversation for me was really around how to utilize our credit cards best for travel. And she gives some of her best travel tips when it comes to picking the right credit card. So there's lots of great nuggets of wisdom in this conversation and Let's jump into it. Hi, Shauna. Welcome to Life Snacks. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I am so excited to have you here and um, not just in my ear for the first time because I'm always listening to your podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's always strange when that happens, but it's so fun to put always faces to voices. I think it just it, it starts to bring people to life. Absolutely. Alrighty. So we know this is called life snacks. So we like to start out with some snack related questions. Can you tell us what you're currently snacking on? What's your favorite snack right now? And what was your favorite childhood snack? Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, I try not to snack as much now (laughs) because I can be a cereal snacker, if you will. But um, I love like a good uh, almond cracker, crisp cracker. I'm gluten-free, so all my snacks have to be gluten-free. But I love that with a little hummus. I make homemade hummus and um, I could eat it on on everything. So that's usually like my go to snack. So it's sort of healthy ish. Oh my gosh. <laughs> have you had the simple mills crackers? I oh, I have. They're yes. so good. I love them. All of their stuff is really good. 
yeah, I'm a sucker for any kind of cracker. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Um, as a kid, it's funny. Like I honestly didn't snack that much because I was always playing. So <laughs> it was like, eat breakfast, go play, eat lunch, go play. But probably if, if I did have a snack, it was probably some sort of chocolate, um, like a Hershey kiss or something like that. That was like a quick grab, you know, little, little sort of chocolate bite, if you will. But I, I, that's a really interesting one because thinking about on childhood, like, I don't know if I even had time to <laughs> well, that's a good way to be. I feel like kids these days aren't outside playing as much. So it's good to hear that you were outside playing with your friends as most kids should be. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. I was a big um, swimmer when I was a kid. I was a competitive swimmer. In fact, they wanted me to go to the Olympics. And so I learned to swim uh, before I learned to talk actually, which is kind of crazy. And so uh, we lived in Texas when I was really little and it was so hot. And so it was just like any spare moment we had, we were, we were in some sort of water, a pool or something. And, you know, I don't even think we recognized when we were hungry. So it's, (laughs) yeah, it's so interesting. (laughs) I love that. That's hilarious. Alrighty. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your journey is to, or was to what brought you to here today? Yeah, I have a really interesting story. Um, Growing up as a kid, I was always into performing and athletics. Like my, my dad ran um, a big company and he would always have people over for dinner and I would always want to put on concerts for them. So I would put on like Madonna concerts where I would get like fully dressed up and these poor people would have to like suffer through me like dancing and lip, lip singing. But um, I always enjoyed performing and I always knew that somehow it would be part of my life. I just always had like a really vivid imagination I went back to college uh, to Indiana University. I'm originally, I was born in Indiana. And uh, it was such a great experience. At that time, I thought I wanted to be a film producer. And I thought to stand out as a film producer, being young and female, I needed to do something different. So I started what was at the time the first national student film festival and ran it for five years. We raised like a quarter of a million dollars a year as like, you know, 18, 19 year olds who knew nothing about what we were doing. You know, we had like over 130 kids have got jobs and internships in the entertainment industry. Many of them now are like pretty famous actors, directors, editors, writers, all sorts. And so I ran that for five years and then ended up selling it after five years. And kind of not really knowing what to do because I had given away so many great jobs to other people. And I thought, well, great, what am I going to do now? And so I always had this duality of uh, like business expertise, but also creativity. And so I went back and got my MBA and was still trying to figure out like, how do I weigh out both of those sides? I don't know if anyone listening can relate to this, but I never felt like I fit in a box Like I never was like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer or an architect or it just wasn't my journey. And so I always felt a little lost, I guess, not knowing how to put all the pieces together at all these like weird bag of tricks. And um, at the time, my father ran a financial company, a really, really small boutique and worked with primarily with entrepreneurs and said, hey, do you want to just like join me and see, you know, if we like working together? And so day one, we were working with people who had 
massive, massive net worth. And it was really interesting to be able to like see behind the scenes of people's money. And I thought, oh, this is really fascinating. My dad had been in the financial industry his whole life. And so I started to ask my friends, like, what do you know about personal finance? And even my friends who got MBAs were like, I don't know anything. And so I started to think, okay, this is really weird. Like nobody knows anything about money. So that's really where my creativity started to uh, bubble up to the surface again. I started to do a lot of writing and speaking and talking about like, how can we make money a different experience? How can we take the fear and stress and dread out of it and turn it into something that we could see as a tool and that we're not afraid uh, to use it. And so I started in, uh, I became a certified financial planner and I worked with a female entrepreneurs myself until about 2018. And I started this podcast called Millennial Money in 2015. I didn't think anybody would listen and it got featured on iTunes and it's just become something that I love. It's like therapy for me almost. I get, I think I get more out of it than <laughs> the people listening, but we've had over 15 million downloads since the podcast launch, which is really good for like a niche money podcast. <laughs> we have a really steady audience and it's just been so fun and opened so many doors to really step into like talking about money from this different perspective. Um, and then I also had something weird happen in 2018. I had an injury and became deaf in my left ear. So I am deaf in my left ear with 24 seven tinnitus, wow. which is like the worst TV static all day long, every day that you could hear. And so I needed to change everything about myself. Balance became really important. Focusing on self-care became really important. Not feeling like I had to work 16 hours a day. I just couldn't, my, my body just can't do it anymore. And so I had been using this kind of um, bunches of paper put together over the years of, of something that I called a money mindset journal. And it had really helped me get in a better mindset with my money. And I had helped other friends do this through this process. And so after losing my hearing, I thought, you know what, I want to turn this into like a company and a product. So this year I launched a business called Hello, It's Me, which is our first product, of course, is the Money Mindset Journal, which is just this really cool process that uh, really helps you look at money differently and helps put like all the pieces together. So it's not just about dollars, but that's just our first product out of the shoot. I'm really focused on like creating things around authenticity. Like how do we just be all like authentic us? Because that's always been my struggle throughout my career is like, I'm not this, I'm not that I'm a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And like, how do I put all of that together and make money and make it make sense? So that's the short, long story <laughs> I love of my it. journey. <laughs> well, your journey is incredible. And I think for our listeners, it is so valuable because most people have just graduated from college in those early years. And sometimes we're looking for a direct path and there's not always one, right? So I think yes. your your journey really will resonate with our listeners thinking, am I going to work in tech forever? Is finance my thing? What is my next step? And you clearly made so many pivots and realizations along the way that I know will resonate. Yeah. And I think it's just really important to know that you don't have to have it all figured out right now. You're not going to have it all figured out and that there's, it's so much more fun to just kind of go with the journey. I mean, of course you need to be purposeful, but 
to just sort of let life take you in in directions. I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing today. And yet, maybe I always thought I would be doing some version of this. So it's, a, you know, a little weird, but find your strengths, like find the things that you love to do. And don't be afraid to walk away from a job or a career because you feel called somewhere else. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, life just isn't all about money. And so I think we really need to like share that message, especially for women, because I think we can feel trapped a lot of times. So I completely agree. And it's funny that you say life isn't all about money because we're going to talk a lot about money today. <laughs> um, I'm a listener of the the Millennial Money Podcast and have found so much value and wisdom in everything you've shared. So given my audience is young and in their 20s, I'd love to kind of talk about some of the biggest mistakes you see people in their 20s make um, when it comes to money and how can we be a little bit more aware of these mistakes or plan so we don't make them? It's such a good question. And I think the cool thing is, is that the mistakes in your 20s are mistakes that people make no matter what age they are. I mean, the one of the best things I saw working with all sorts of different people when I was sitting across from them helping figure out, you know, financial issues with them is no matter the age, demographic, um, gender, income, you name it, everybody at the core had kind of the same things that they struggled with. And so it became really fascinating of, of thinking about it differently. But because we don't talk about money very often, we get really stuck in like, well, I must be the only one who made this mistake. But that's not the truth. So I think some of the some of the important things, um, you know, one obviously is is mindset. I have to start there because that was something that was never really taught to me, but is I think one of the most critical components of money success is understanding what I call your money story. So that's that's literally like the movie of where you're at now. So how are you raised? What sort of environment are you in? How were you influenced around money? They say that our our money habits were pretty much set in stone by age seven based off of what we saw from our parents or whoever raised us, which is really fascinating because I don't really remember before seven, but scientifically that's what they've proven. But we don't we don't think about these things. So sometimes we get out of college and like we start maybe making a mistake over and over again and we can't understand why. Why do we keep doing this? We know it's not maybe the right thing. We keep doing it. Well, a lot of it is patterning from patterning, that's a tough word, um, <laughs> from your childhood or something that you saw or something that you were influenced. But until you kind of dig down those onion layers and figure that out, you can't change that. So I tell people, start with a mindset. Start with thinking about how does money make you feel? how would it feel if you could change the definition of money, right? All of these, there's a million different, we could do a whole episode on it, but that's something that I think is really important. The other thing is we grow up with sort of this idea that budgeting is like a chore, this horrible thing. And I, I really despise the word budgeting. <laughs> so I do talk about this. I, I love uh, this. <laughs> I don't like to talk about it that way. Um, I always change my budget to a travel itinerary because I love to travel. So for me, it was like the mechanism to how I could afford to travel more. But really at the core, it's all about how are are you tracking your money that's flowing in, but more importantly, your money that's flowing out, right? And it's the money flowing out. If you can really start to think, 
um, I teach the system called a one, two, three. So one is the expenses that I love. Like I, I know I'm going to need these expenses. They're either things I have to have or things I love. Twos are things I feel maybe about. Like maybe there's some subscriptions you have or just something that you just feel kind of like, eh, you know, I spend money on it, but I don't really know why, you know, those are opportunities to kind of change your spending. And then threes are things you're spending money on that you really just don't like. And some of the threes you can't get rid of, but a lot of them you can get rid of. So it's thinking about your money from a different perspective, like putting you in the driver's seat. So rather than just like you're filling out this budget every month of these like random numbers, you're actually really looking at what's flowing in and what's flowing out. And you have control over that. I think that's the cool thing. You could decide like, yeah, I still want to spend a hundred dollars, you know, Uber eats every week or no, I don't know, but maybe, maybe I don't because there's something else I want to do. And maybe I could take that money and move it over there. So I think just thinking about your money from that perspective, like if you could start to do that in your twenties, that would like radically, radically change things for you. Those are great tips. And I think it's so funny when you just talk about your twos for a second, I started (laughs) thinking about my twos and this is something I've been evaluating in my budget, but it's like, is that expensive face wash? I'm really buying doing anything for me or like that collagen (laughs) I put in my coffee. I read that it's really good, but like, I think I could probably live without that $50 a month, right? Like things like that, that you you just on autopilot, you kind of buy them, but you don't think like, okay, do I need this? Yeah, that's like such a great example, you know, and then the like second thought from that is then like, okay, can I take that $50 I was spending on collagen? Like, could I put it in my travel fund or my investment fund or my paying off debt fund or whatever it is for you? And so you're really then like shuffling your money in a direction that is going towards the life you want to live, which I think is is really cool. We we somehow, you know, get out of college and we just get like sucked into the world and to life and we spend unconsciously most of the time. And now because we can spend like on our phones pushing a button, like there isn't an emotional connection to money. So we almost have to like force it. But the reason you're forcing it is because there's stuff you want to do. And so if you can connect it with but I got all this stuff I want to do. I mean, realizing we can't really travel very much right now, but what if you want to go on some, you know, exotic trip when we can, you know, so it's, it's shuffling the money and realizing like, ah, that's why I'm doing it. You know, that's, I think where the really power comes from. And then I think another mistake that maybe 20 year olds make is thinking that you're a little bit immortal, which I understand. And, you know, I always tell people like, you need that little, um, I won't, I won't swear, but you need that little like effort fund, you know, you need that little like emergency cush side money that will allow you to leave a relationship if you want to, right. Or, uh, you know, you're saving for a house or maybe you want to quit your job and you need a couple of months of cash to get you there or you want to move or whatever, like just some fund of money that you could tap into if you need to, to, you know, shake up your life a little bit. So, um, you know, having something like that, I think is, is so important. And so many people don't do it until they get in a situation like, I really need money. Like, where am I going to get it? And then, you know, goes to credit cards or something like that, which is not the end of the world, but, um, you know, just start building some, some money for yourself rather than paying everybody else right? And neglecting yourself. So, um, I mean, there's so many different things I could talk about, but I think those are kind of like the top three. 
No, those are great. And I think when you were talking about, um, we kind of don't do that saving process, right? And it's that money, they say you can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you freedom. It can buy you the, it's yeah. the freedom to leave a job. It's the freedom to leave a relationship, the freedom to move, right? So keeping that in mind is something that I think has been empowering. And then also you kind of talked about this immorality and I think people my age are like, I don't need to save for my retirement right now. Like I'm 20 something. Why? Like, I don't want to pick a retirement date, but can you talk a little bit about why that's important when it comes to setting up your 401k or Roth IRAs and things like that and how we can kind of put those funds on autopilot um, to help us in the long term? Yeah, I think, you know, think about it this way that uh, it's not for uh, I tend to think of it not like for retirement. I tend to think of it as like my life fund, right? The thing that's going to give me options. And the thing about investing is we can't just keep money in our bank account and our savings account. They're not earning enough interest to really make a difference, right? Some little chunk of our money needs to at least be trying to get up the hill and get some sort of interest behind it, right? And that's how that like snowball effect happens where a little bit of money gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And mathematically, if we looked at it just from like a pure math perspective, the younger you are, you can save less money per month invested and end up with so much more money than somebody who's like maybe in their 40s and just starts to invest. They got to save a lot more money to even try and hit what somebody 20 year old ha has saved. And so the younger you are, the bigger that snowball can get. And you want a big snowball. You want lots of options in life. You want to be able to do whatever you want to do. And that's really what uh, saving for retirement, if you will, uh, does for you. And I'm a big fan of like change words. If retirement planning seems too weird for you, call it something else, like something that motivates you. I love there's, that. <laughs> there's no hard, fast reason why we need to call it something that just feels like blah to us, you know, so just just change it. Um, if you work at a job and you have a 401k available and they offer something called matching funds, that is the best deal you're ever going to get. Basically, a company will say, hey, if you put in X percentage of your salary, we're going to match it, which is essentially like free money. So they're helping your snowball get bigger and bigger just by working there. So little things like that are really important. If you don't have that, certainly a Roth or an IRA, you know, just start with something small. So when we talk about like looking at our one, two, threes of our expenses, you know, maybe we set aside like, okay, we could maybe we take away one of those twos and threes. Maybe it's $50 a month. Maybe it's 25 or a hundred. I don't know, whatever it is for you. And maybe we just say, you know what? Let's just invest that little chunk on autopilot every month, right? So it just comes out uh, just like a bill comes out of your bank account. But the cool thing is it's going to actually build you this big snowball. So it's not evaporating to, a, to an, another bill or another expense. It's actually on the side, like getting bigger and bigger for you which is really cool. So, you know, you can start with something really small. It doesn't have to be really big, but you would be really surprised if you keep doing that consistently for, you know, 10 to 15 years, which isn't that long of a period of time, you're going to look at that balance one day and be like, oh my gosh, like all that from mm -hmm. $50 or $100 a month. 
So I just really, I really want, especially women, I want, want to have options. I want you to be able to do whatever you want. If you want to stop working when you have kids or take six months off or go travel or change your career, I just want you to have options. And so investing helps you build some of those. Yeah. Let's talk about investing. So if we have 401ks or Roth IRA accounts, that's one way of investing, but how else can someone who knows, let's say nothing about investing, get started and where should they invest their money? What types of platforms would you recommend they use? And where's just a really great place to start? Well, you know, this is such an interesting question and, um, you know, it's one of those like really gray areas because it really depends on the person. So I think the first thing to understand is about yourself. How risky are you? It's something called risk tolerance. And if you Google it, there are a ton of different like quizzes, like short little quizzes you can take where you answer a lot of questions and then it spits out like, hey, you're conservative or you're more moderate or more aggressive, those types of things. And so that gives you a feel of what maybe you should look at in terms of investments. Um, you know, certainly like we've seen what's happened with Robinhood and yep. GameStop lately. And, you know, I tell people, if you're going to do stock buying, make sure that's money that if, if you just had to throw it away, it would be okay. You know, uh, don't make it that a huge chunk of your money, but if you're okay with gambling that a little bit, then go for it. If you want to invest in some cryptocurrency or, you know, Bitcoin's pretty expensive, but if you want to <laughs> invest in some Bitcoin or something else, like go for it, but, but use, use some money that's set aside that you, you're not going to have to use like for your actual living expenses. Um, you know, the you've seen a lot of the stories of people who invested in GameStop, like at the wrong time mm -hmm. and they either have massive tax bills or they lost a big chunk of money. Like, I just don't want anybody in that situation. I think one of the best things to think about if you're thinking about stock investing is figuring out what price am I going to get in, but also what price do I really want to get out of, right? So you have like your enter and your exit strategy. And so sometimes we can get too greedy and um, tr try to make more and more and more money. And sometimes that's when it's like going to Vegas. Sometimes that's <laughs> when the house is like, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, there are tons of different um, you know, people who teach uh, stock investing. Um, one of my favorites is, uh, her name is Terry Igioma. She was actually on the podcast and she runs um, a course called Invest with Terry, where she literally teaches you, if you want to be like an active trader of stock, mm -hmm. she teaches you how to do this and how to basically create up to like $1,000 a day. Uh, so it, it's really determine it based off of how risky you want to be and what do you have access to at work? You know, if you have a 401k and you have a matching program, like start there, you're going to be picking, um, you know, mutual funds, but start there. You're going to be able to figure out like what funds really align with your risk tolerance. If you want to do some other outside stock investing, you know, find good quality companies, like find companies that are leaders in their industry, you know, um, for instance, like if we're looking at, um, you know, at home gym stuff, which is mm -hmm. really, you know, uh, Big right now. Right now. yeah, yeah. You know, maybe I would look at Peloton 
over some other niche companies, right? Because Peloton's really kind of like leading the movement right now. So maybe I would look at them like, you know, what's going on behind the scenes with, with Peloton? Am I, am I using it? I always tell people, if you're going to buy stocks, pick companies of things that you use, that you know, you know, don't pick some weird, like, I don't know, telecom company or something that yeah. you know nothing about, but your friend told you about, you know, pick things that you, that you use every day. Do you have a favorite uh, clothing brand? Well, look at their stocks. See, see how, how their stocks doing, you know? Um, but you know, it's, you start somewhere. So the first place is always your 401k, your Roth and your IRA. And then you look at, can I carve a chunk of money outside of that? And, uh, that's when I start looking at stocks, but there are lots of places uh, for like Ross and IRAs. Um, there's places like Elvest, which is mm-hmm. an amazing female platform. Um, there's a lot of uh, you know platforms like that where you fill out a risk tolerance survey, and then they kind of say, okay, based off of you, here's the funds we would suggest. And then you just auto fund a certain amount of money every month. And, and it is pretty easy. Yes. So th- those are some of the best places I think to start, but it really is, it's tough to give an answer because it's so individual, you know, specific mm-hmm. as to what is best for you. Yeah. I know I'm an LFS user and that has been an awesome place to start because I think at first I thought being an investor meant being on Robinhood every day or in my E-Trade account and being an investor can be putting a hundred dollars towards your mutual fund or whatever that fund is that you've invested in. But can you tell the audience who might not know what a mutual fund is? I think people that are starting out don't even understand that concept. So that'd be great to clarify. So a stock essentially is, um, an ownership piece of a company. So if like, let's say I bought one share of Peloton, I own one stock share of that company, right? A mutual fund, think of it like a basket of funds. So I might have a tech fund and in that tech fund is Peloton, is uh, Apple, is Google, is I don't know, you know, there might be 20 or 30 different companies actually in that fund. So I then own a piece of all of those little companies or all those big companies in that, in that fund. So it's a way to spread out risk because let's say I invested in Peloton and maybe there was some sort of scandal that happened with the CEO and all of a sudden the stock price just plummeted. Well, I, I've basically lost my value in that stock. But if I own Peloton in this tech fund with all these other tech companies, something happens on make that mutual fund, you know, tank too much unless it's something industry-wide and happened with all of these different funds. So it's a way of spreading out risk to a lot of different companies and also a way to really maximize your investment dollars because when we're putting say a hundred dollars in our mutual fund, we're spreading it out, you know, on all of these different amazing companies. But um, you know, I'm I'm a fan of of mutual funds. I think I think they're great. They're a great way to invest in lots of different companies and and really spread out the risk. But just again, think of it like a basket. It's a basket full of all of these different companies and their stock. 
That was a great explanation. I know when I was trying to really increase my financial literacy, it started at figuring out those terms, right? Like just the basics. And as women, I think we struggle to talk about money and we also really struggle to ask questions. Sometimes we sit there and we're like, "Mm mm-hmm. Yep. Sounds good. And then I'm like, I got nothing out of that. So thank you for answering that. Um, I'd love to switch gears because I know you're a big traveler and I'd love for you to talk about how you use your credit cards um, for travel and just some best practices around utilizing credit cards and credit card points. A lot of our listeners are probably setting up their first credit cards or picking which credit cards to go with. So I would love to hear how you use that to help your travel lifestyle which hopefully we can all live soon. (laughs) Right. Uh, I'm a big fan of credit cards, but credit cards used right, used wisely. So what I mean by this is you're using your credit card for your monthly expenses, grocery, my gas, going to Target, whatever it might be, right? But at the end of the month, I'm paying off all of that that I charge. So I'm using it like a debit card right? So I'm going to charge throughout the month and then I'm going to pay all of that money off. So I really know how much I can spend, right? And I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't go over that. So that's where really knowing, you know, the money coming in and the money going out, really knowing that is really helpful in this process to make sure that you don't kind of go crazy. So I'm using it like a debit card, which means after every month, I don't have a balance on it, right? It's getting zeroed out. But in that process, a couple of cool things. I'm building points or cash back, depending on the card I'm using. And I'm also building my credit score. Because if I'm using a debit card that's attached to my checking account, I'm not building my credit score at all, right? That's just merely the mechanism for accessing your your money in your checking account. But a credit card is different. It's helping me build my credit score, which is really, really important. And so... What I love about credit cards now is because a lot of them have points or cash back, like that's worth money to you. So a lot of times, you know, what we'll do have enough points that we can then use those points for like airfare or hotel stays. Well, if you knock out, we love to travel to Europe. You know, if we knock out two airfares, which is our points because we used our credit cards this way, you know, we've essentially saved, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars or a hotel stay or something like that. So I always try to talk about like, make smart money moves, right? You know, you could pay for those airfare flights, but why? Why have I just used this little strategy and use my credit card wisely? So if I'm paying off what I charge on it every month, I don't have to worry about the interest rate. I, none of the negative side effects or credit cards are, are impacting me. I'm just using it smartly so that I can build these points that then I can turn into cash for something else down the road. So that's really how, how I devised my travel strategy. And I can't even tell you how many, they're not free trips, but essentially they are because we haven't had to pay for them that mm-hmm. we've taken just by using that that strategy. Yeah. And you're spending the money anyways, right? This might exactly. be on your groceries. So you might as well be getting something for it. I know um, I use the Chase Sapphire preferred card and they have great travel points and I can use those points for Amazon purchases if I want exactly. to. Exactly. And you're just getting a lot more for your money. And even if it's, you're just doing your groceries on it, right? You're going to spend that money each week anyways. So how can we get the most out of it? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's just thinking about things a little differently. You know, we just like budgeting, we tend to think about really negatively about credit cards, which I understand. And then I don't want you in credit card debt, but if you are in credit card debt, it's okay. Don't, don't freak out about it. It's okay. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. There's this weird idea of perfectionism in the money industry, which I just hate. There isn't such thing as perfect, right? We all got to live our lives. But if we're using our credit card wisely like that, uh, we're just, I, I feel like it's like having my cake and eating it too, you know? <laughs> yes. You talked about the importance of building credit. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and why it is important to build credit and have a good credit score? Yeah. So credit is your credit score is this three digit number. And there are three different credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian and TransUnion. And basically what they look at is five factors to determine your credit score. And the first two factors are the most important. It's are you paying your bills on time? If you're paying it on time, that's 35% of your credit score. The second factor is something called credit utilization, which simply is how much credit available do you have versus how much are you using? So that's a ratio that uh, the credit industry uses to kind of measure your credit health. But between those two factors, it's 65% of your credit score. So it's a big chunk. So, uh, you know, your credit score, again, it starts with your first piece of credit, whether that was your student loan or car loan or credit card, whatever that might be, you started kind of the time clock ticking with your credit score. But the, the real power in your credit score is the better your credit score, the lower the interest rate you have on all sorts of things. The lower the interest rate you have, the less you pay. So if I'm buying a $20,000 car and I've got a credit score that is say 740 to 820 or 740 plus, I should say, I'm going to get the best interest rates, which means I'm paying the least amount of money for that car. If I have a credit score that's maybe... 600 or below, I can still buy that car, but I'm going to have a much higher interest rate and I'm going to pay a lot more money for that car, right? So your credit score comes in with loans, um, credit card interest rates, um, if you want to buy a house, if you want to buy a car, all of those sorts of things. But credit score is also utilized in ways you might not think about. Like when you go to rent an apartment, they pull your credit report. And they kind of make a determination of whether they want to rent you or not. Maybe they uh, charge you an extra deposit fee, like all of these things if your credit score isn't what they deem good. Or even hiring managers a lot of times for jobs now are pulling credit reports. Now, they can't talk to you about it. They can't say like, hey, your score is, you know, so they can't have that conversation with you about it, but they're making some sort of judgment fairly or unfairly based on your credit score. So it really is like a really important three digit, you know, sequence of numbers that's going to be with you the rest of your life. And so if you can keep it really healthy when you're just out of college, you know, and, and into your working years, that's just going to be so beneficial for you. Yeah, I know my boyfriend and I just went through the home buying process and that's obviously so important when you're making a purchase that big and getting that rate as low as possible based on, I think they usually take the lowest of your two credit scores too. So you want to make sure that you're keeping on top of that. Um, and one thing I've noticed that people have struggled with their credit score is 
sometimes bills, like if you have an outstanding like bill from an apartment you used to rent and you never transferred it. Um, I've had issues with that docking my credit score before. So I think it's like these little things we don't think about when, especially we're renting our first apartments and stuff, but they are really important. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I've, if you, even if like, let's say you went to the dentist and you had like a $10 balance and you're like, I don't want to pay it. You know, that $10 balance could go to collections and stay on your credit report for seven years. So was that really, was that $10 like really worth, you know, messing up your credit score? So the way it sort of works is like the better credit score you have, like one sort of slip up can really drop your credit score pretty fast. And then it takes a long time to come back up. So, you know, just really try to stay on top of all those things. And if something does go to collection, you know, try to negotiate with them, try to just get that taken care of. But again, don't panic if that happens, just try your best to, to be aware of, of the situation, any outstanding bills. As we move into our closing questions, I would love to hear from you. If someone listening to this episode could only take one thing away from our conversation when it comes to managing their money post-grad, what would it be? Who one thing. Um, well, this is kind of one thing, maybe or three <laughs> things wrapped into one. Um, I, I would say, you know, money is not to be feared and you don't need to have stress and anxiety over money, but you do need to be in charge of your spending. So really, again, make those one, two, three decisions with your spending. And if you make a change, really take that money and put it powerfully towards one of your other goals. If you can do that consistently every day, every week, every month, you're going to be able to see massive changes with your money. So, so that's probably what I would want to leave you with. Okay. And what is one thing you wish you knew when you graduated from college? What would you go back and tell yourself? That it's a journey. And as much as you want to be quote unquote perfect when you graduate college and make sure everything's paid right. And I don't have debt and I da, 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 like things happen through life. And so every one of us has some slip up. Every one of us has a time in our life where maybe we get in some credit card debt, or maybe we make a bad investment decision, whatever it might be. Maybe your credit score goes a little sideways for a while. So just don't attach yourself to the idea that it has to be perfect. Just do your best every single day. And so I think if I would have known that in my 20s, that might have been very helpful because I felt a lot of pressure to do everything right. And uh, that's just so unnecessary because nobody falls in that bracket. Yeah. And right with our money, but also there's no right with our career path or journey, right? It's not always going to be linear. So giving ourselves that grace is important. Yeah, there is. There is no right. Just keep listening to the little small voice inside of you. And, you know, if it tells you to do something different, I don't know, give it, give it a shot. It's worked out for me doing things <laughs> differently. So don't be afraid of it. I love that. Well, where can our listeners find you um, and find the money mindset journal and listen to your podcast? Let us know all the things. 
Sure, you can find the Millennial Money Podcast on literally any podcast player, the podcast player you're listening to this episode on. We would love to have you. We have two episodes a week, literally on every topic around money. So you can certainly find something there. And if you're interested in the Money Mindset Journal, you can go to helloitsme.world. And we have a print and digital version. And I guarantee if you commit to this journal for, for six months, you will see radical changes in your thinking around money and also in your ability to, to achieve goals. Well, thank you so much. And I know our listeners will find so many great snacks of knowledge from this episode. So I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you. As always, I'm so appreciative of you guys listening to today's episode, and I hope you enjoyed it and had some great takeaways from the conversation. If you have a moment and would be so kind to open the Apple Podcast app and leave a rating and review, I would really appreciate it. Also, don't forget to head to the link in the show notes to buy your tickets to Life Snacks Live if you're in Chicago on August 14th. It would seriously make my world to meet some new faces there. And until then, I'll be back next week with another episode.